we're going to launch a new series today. Um, and it's kind of, the, the, the title is Expand Your Worldview, all right? And we're wanting to, to look at God's Word in the middle of a global pandemic and figure out what it is as believers we need to do in order to expand the way we look at the world. Because quite honestly, sometimes we end up um, getting a pretty narrow focus of of where life is. I mean, I mean, for the, I know there are a lot of university students in, in this particular hour. I mean, there is a world beyond Scatterfield Road, okay? Uh, you, you guys are over there like on your side of Nursery Road, and you kind of, the world kind of gets drawn in. During the pandemic, I, uh, when we were quarantined, uh, they said I couldn't, you know, you, you don't leave the house or anything except I've told some of you before, my, my wife, it was like, you have to leave the house, okay? I mean, there, there were moments in the pandemic where she's saying to me, no, you cannot stay here anymore. Uh, if, if you stay here, it's going to be painful, all right? And, and so I had to expand my worldview and start walking outside of the house. And so I, I started walking in my neighborhood. And, and then the, the longer I walked, the more she sh- said I should keep walking, all right? And, and so I, I just kind of have developed this habit now of, of every day uh, walking anywhere from three to five miles and walking through my neighborhood. There's a path through my neighborhood that I go. And, and what's really fun is that uh, people know me, right? And they know where I'm at. But this week, we drove over to St. Louis, Missouri to get my mother-in-law and bring her back so she could meet uh, my grandchild. I have told you guys, I, I have a grandchild now. Uh, she is the most beautiful little girl in the entire world, all right? I just want to let you know, and all the rest of you, your babies are ugly. My babe, grandbaby is pretty, all right? Just let, no, I'm just teasing, all right? And, 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 and I'm sure yours are the prettiest in, in the world too. Uh, but her great-grandmother had not met her yet. And so we went over to get her. And so when we were there, I, I decided I would walk in my mother-in-law's neighborhood. Now, this is an interesting thing. Uh, she lives in a suburb of St. Louis called Troy, Missouri, uh, and, and I don't go there very often, but, you know, I jump up in the morning. That's my pattern. I get my stuff. I, I put my hoodie on because it's cold, and here I am walking through a strange neighborhood in a hoodie. Anybody heard anything about that lately? All right. Uh, it doesn't dawn on me till I'm like around the first lap, and then there are people peeking out the doors going, who's the strange man in the hoodie, all right? And the worst part was it's an Indianapolis Colts hoodie, all right? And so some dude I've never met before, hey, Colts fan, how you doing? I'm like, okay, hey, I'm fine, you know. I just, you don't have a gun, do you? No, all right, we're all right. And, and, and so suddenly it dawned on me, all of us get so, so closed in in our focus. Our worldview gets so narrow. And there's this story in the book of Acts that, that is a story of a guy that's worldview should have been large. I mean, his, his worldview should have been expansive. The man was born in a place called Tarsus. He, he was a Roman citizen because of where he was born, but he was also Jewish because his family was Jewish. But they weren't just any Jewish family. They were a very successful Jewish family. And he was, he was a very smart, intelligent guy. In fact, he was so smart and so intelligent that his family got him into the best rabbinical training school they had, studying under a guy who was the best teacher known in that time. His name was Gamaliel. And so here this guy is. He's a Hellenistic Jew, which means he's, he's Jewish, but he doesn't live in Israel. 
And, and he's, but he's also a Roman citizen, so he speaks multiple languages. He's got a great education. He's got all the rights of a, of, of a Roman citizen. He can go anywhere in the Roman Empire. And he's successful in business, and his family is. And, and so he, he, ends up, he ends up in the best place. You would think, this guy's got a great worldview. But what happened to him was, he ended up with a narrow worldview. Because as he's studying under Gamaliel, he begins to become convinced that, that only, the, only the teachings of the rabbis, only the teachings of what he understood in the, in the Old Testament would actually be true. And then he gets confronted. He gets confronted by truth that he can't comprehend. Because what's going on in his life is that he is the militant enforcer of the Hebrew law. His name is Saul. And as he studied under Gamaliel, He's in Jerusalem at the time when Jesus' ministry is taking place. And, and as he's hearing the rumors about this, this teacher who, went to the, who didn't go to any of the synagogue schools, this teacher who was, who was the carpenter's son, who's now telling people that he's the son of God, and, and he's doing all this, and, and, and people are following by droves. And, and this Saul, is, he's in the synagogue, and he's got, his, he's got his focus on doing the right thing and having, having it the right way. And he's got everything. His, his world is just perfect. And then, and then one day, he, he gets confronted. Now, the confrontation is, is pretty powerful. Because what, what Saul is doing, he's risen through the ranks. He's got all the empowerment of the high priest to go out and, and capture these people who are following Jesus and bring them to justice. He's going to arrest them. He's going to imprison them, men and women alike. And he was there when they had stoned Stephen. He was in the, the Freedman synagogue when, when Stephen was brought up on charges by the other Hellenistic Jews. And, and he was there when the Sanhedrin condemned Stephen to death. In fact, Luke even tells us that he was standing in the crowd when the Sanhedrin, the 61 people who were in charge of the highest court of Israel, and they picked up the stones to condemn Stephen to death and to kill him. It was Saul who was standing there holding their cloaks. So here's a guy who by all rights ought to have a large worldview, and yet his worldview has been narrowed down. And some of you are listening to me and you're thinking, well, Pastor, what in the world does that have to do with me? Listen, we're living in a world right now where there are clashing worldviews. We're living in a society right now where worldviews are at war with each other. And social media is inflaming it, and people are, are arguing about all kinds of things. And, and what's going on in our world is not that much different than what was going on in Saul's world. And what was going on in Saul's world was that, was that there, was, there was this anger and this angst on behalf of, of the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling party, about this teacher named Jesus and who he was and what he had done and the fact that his followers had said that when, when he'd been crucified that he'd actually been raised from the dead and this was heresy. But the bigger heresy was that before he was crucified, he had said that he was the son of God. And Saul just couldn't handle that. Because Saul's worldview was narrowed in on the law and the prophets and the Torah and the teachings of the rabbi. And so he's going to uphold the law. He's going to make things right. And so he gets permission from the high priest. 
to not just go in Jerusalem, because he's already been successful at that. In fact, he's so successful at, at arresting Christians in Jerusalem that, that now Christians have scattered all over. And we, we've seen some of that scattering in the last few weeks in our Recalibrate series. How as because of this persecution, Philip went to Samaria and then down to the Gaza Road, and, and how God used the, the hurt and the pain of persecution to actually spread the love and the joy and the mercy of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. So when that happens, Saul, who's so committed to his worldview, he's so wrapped in, in his way of looking at the world, gets permission to leave Jerusalem and go, go to Damascus. Now, Damascus is a city where there's a large Jewish population, many of whom are like Saul. They're, they're, they're trained properly, they're, they're wealthy, they're, they're business people, they're, they're Hellenistic Jews, they, they travel the world. But in the midst of, quite honestly, historians tell us somewhere between 20 and 30,000 Jewish people in Damascus, there's this group of people who have been talking about Jesus. And so, so Saul decides, you know what, I need to cut this stuff off before it gets too widespread. And so he gets permission to go. I want you to listen to the story because this is the story of how a worldview gets redirected. And what I believe over the next few weeks, we can see God do in us. Listen. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, sir? And he said, I, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was another disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. Uh, don't, don't forget that. We're going to come back to it in a minute. He's blind. He's in a foreign place. He's been confronted by God. He is praying. And he's seen a vision. In this vision, there's a man named Ananias who comes in and lays his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias says, Lord, wait a minute, hold on. I've heard about this guy from a lot of people. And, and I've heard what he's been doing to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed 
and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So get the picture, will you? He's on a mission to annihilate Christianity. He's got permission to to arrest anybody who is a follower in the way of Jesus. Jesus had said to his disciples, we can find it in John chapter 13, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And so these, these people who followed him after his resurrection, after his appearance to them, and his time with them in Pentecost, after the day of, the day of Pentecost and the spirits dwelling in them, these people were known as followers of the way. And he's got permission because, I mean, his worldview is so narrow. These people have to be heretics. They can't be truth tellers. They can't be people of grace and mercy. They can't really know God because they don't do it like I do it. And so I'm going to arrest them. And I'm going to tell them how wrong they are. And on the way, on the way, he, he gets almost to Damascus. And there's this bright light. Now, I know for those of you who are Bible scholars that, that in that area of the world, there are frequent lightning storms, and there are people who say things like, well, you know, there was just a lightning storm, and it just shocked his system, and he got hit by lightning. Yeah, really? When's the last time lightning talked to you? When's the last time someone was with you, you got hit by lightning, and you got up, all right? I had a friend in my church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, when I pastored there, who had been hit by lightning twice. How in the world that happens? I'm not sure. I looked at him and said, really? What did you do wrong? He said, ah, I work construction. I was just outside working and, and lightning hit and it hit me. I'm like, so you didn't move? He said, Pastor, it wasn't twice the same day. Okay, just another time. I said, what did it feel like? He said, I can't explain it. But I want you to know I didn't talk for a long time. Can I tell you something? Saul wasn't hit by lightning. Not literal lightning. No, Saul was confronted by God. And what happened when Saul was confronted by Jesus Christ is that all the things Saul had ever known, all the things he had ever worked at to do perfectly, to do right, to to make sure he made his mark, to, to succeed, all of those things, all of those things were suddenly the wrong way. I love the way the English translation take this passage from the Greek. Because it says that as Saul, the English Standard Version, which I just read for you, says that as Saul was on his was, was persecuting the followers of the way. That's what he's out to do. On his way, on his way, Jesus confronts him. I, I want to suggest to you this morning that maybe, just maybe, if you get so wrapped up in doing things your way that you forget about God's way, there's a place in your life where Jesus will confront you 
And when you're confronted by Jesus, when, when the truth of Jesus steps into your life and he looks at you as he looked at Saul and says, hey, why are you pushing against me? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you, why are you out to hurt the people who follow me? Why are you denying me? Whatever it is Jesus says to you, when he confronts you, you've got a choice at that moment. Will you follow God's way or will you follow your way? And when he does that, if you choose to follow his way, you're going to experience something, something that's more powerful than lightning, something that's more powerful than, than anything human beings or the world itself can create. You're going, to, you're going to experience something called conversion. And this morning, I, I want to talk to you about how conversion changes your, your, your worldview. And I want, I want you to understand this word. Because, by the way, I tried Googling it yesterday. I'm like, okay, let me just Google conversion. If you do it, you're going to get 17 different definitions of the word conversion. Okay? Some of you who are math majors, there are conversion tables. Some of you who are scientists, there are other ways of conversion. There are all types of ways. That, that, but you know what's, what's at the core of every, every definition of the term conversion? Change. At the core of every one of those definitions, if you read through all of them, anything that's in a conversion, it's changing. And what Jesus did to Saul and what Jesus wants to do to you and what Jesus wants to do to the world is to see you convert from who you are into who he made you to be. Because here's what conversion is. I want to give you a definition. Conversion is an interruption to our agendas that gives us a new interpretation of life. Now, some of you listening to me are going, well, Pastor, yeah, I've heard all this. I know the story of Saul. And, no, no, but let me, let me explain why the, I, I'm so wrapped up in this story this morning. Because, you see, I, I think that somehow, some way, for many of us who've been raised in church, we just think we just, we just well, you go to church and you do the right things and you say the right stuff and, and you do what your parents tell you and the youth minister tells you and the pastor tells you and, and you just, you, you end up Right. We, we think that we make God in our own image. But the fact is, God made us in His image. And when we start making God in our own image, then we're basically making an idol out of ourselves. And what had happened to Saul was that he had been raised in this system. He was a religious man. He actually thought he was following God. And what I believe is happening in the world right now in the Christian church, not just in the West, but in the entire world, is that there are many, many people, millions of people who believe they're following God and believe they're doing the right thing, and they've never had an experience of being confronted by Jesus. They've never had that moment in time. They've just gone to church. They've just done the right things. They've went to catechism class. They, they followed the discipleship pattern. They, they took the class and checked off the list. They attend every Sunday. They put some money in the plate. They even give online in the middle of a pandemic. And yet, they've never had that place where they've, they've been converted, changed, from who they want to be into who God wants them to be. And if that's you this morning, if you're here on campus or you're listening to us online or later on demand, I just want you to understand that there's something better. Saul, Saul found something better than the way he was raised. Saul found something better than his own agenda, but he only found it after he was confronted, after his agenda was interrupted, and he got a new interpretation of life. And when that happens... 
It changes everything. I mean, look at the Scripture again. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asking for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, I love the fact that people who persecute are always gender inclusive. Have you noticed that? Ladies, y'all know, you you know this, right? He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And Saul said, or the man said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. I love this part. Hearing, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Get that. See, this wasn't an isolated moment of hypnosis. It wasn't a moment of hysteria. No, no. There were witnesses to what happened to Saul. They saw the light. They heard a voice. But they didn't understand it. They couldn't figure out what was going to hurt. They heard Saul talking. It was kind of like that day when, when Jesus, in John chapter 12, said to his disciples, if I be lifted up, I will draw people to myself. On that same day, there was a time when he was talking to them, and he's, he looks up at the heavens, and he says, Father, is it my time? it's my time, isn't it? And, and, and a voice from heaven answered him, and the people said it thundered. You see, there was an event. Saul did have an encounter. It wasn't something he made up in his mind. And there were witnesses to the event. And when that confrontation happened, there was this interruption, and that interruption gave him a brand new interpretation of life. See, conversion always, always, always radically changes your view of life. If you've not had your life redirected, then you've probably not had a conversion experience. If your Christianity is just something you just kind of fell into, well, it's just kind of what I do and where I go, and these are my friends, and that's what, that's, that's not yours yet. I love you enough to tell you. There's got to be a moment where you own it. There's got to be a moment. You don't have to go out and sow all your wild seeds and say, oh, I've got to turn into someone who just raises all kinds of hell in order to become a Christian. No, I'm not saying that. Saul didn't. Saul was one of the most righteous men you've ever wanted to meet. Saul was a guy who was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was from the right family. He did the right things. He had the right belief system for a Jewish man with a narrow worldview. But God had a better design for him. God had given him all those things so that he could be a follower of Jesus Christ with an expansive worldview. But when you're confronted, conversion causes you to recognize your need for repentance. Hear me. Repentance is impossible if you don't recognize that you need to do it. And until Saul met Jesus on the Damascus road, he thought his world was just fine. And until you meet Jesus in your life, you're going to think, hey, you know what? The world's pretty good. Uh, There used to be a television show called Welcome Back Cotter back in the 70s, okay? Maybe you've seen it on TV land or something. There's a school teacher who went back into his, his old uh, school to teach, and he's teaching a group of kids, and, and, and he would always tell them jokes, okay? 
And he, he told this joke. He says, I don't tell jokes well, so just stay with me, all right? I'm a bad joke teller, so help me out, all right? What, what Cotter said to him was, was, he said, you know, there was a guy who was really worried about his son because his son was six years old and had never spoken a word. They'd had the boy tested. They'd taken him to the medical experts, and all of these things happened, and there was nothing wrong with the boy, but the boy just didn't talk until one day the boy came down, and they're eating breakfast, and the six-year-old boy takes a bite of his oatmeal, looks up at his father and says, the oatmeal is cold. The dad stopped. You talked. You, you can talk, son. We've spent all this money on experts, and you can talk. Why have you not spoken until now? He said, well, up to now, everything's been pretty good. You'll get it. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. All right. And I just think there are an awful lot of people sitting in the chairs of churches today who are going, you know what? I really don't need to be confronted by Jesus. I really don't need to have my worldview expanded because really up to now, everything's been pretty good. You know, I went to a Christian college. I got a Christian spouse. I got a Christian job. Everything's just pretty good. But if that's your life, I want you to know you haven't really, you haven't really found what Jesus created you to do yet. You haven't really found why Jesus breathed life into you, why he's known you since you were in your mother's womb. Because I need you to know, a conversion experience that, that, that interrupts you and gives you a new interpretation of life the way it did Saul, a, a conversion experience that, that puts you three days blind, fasting, praying. I mean, that's why I told you to remember that. And Saul was praying. Because what Saul's doing is Saul's going over his life. How did I miss this? How did, how was there, I just met Jesus. Jesus is alive. I just talked to him, but I thought he was dead, but we crucified him. But I, all of those thoughts for three days, he's not eating. He's, he's praying. He's not drinking anything. He's, he's like so fixated on what took place. He's thinking, what in the world? How did I? And then, then, then Ananias shows up. And Ananias I love the way Ananias gets to him. Uh, after he gets there, look about halfway down. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I'm going to show him that he's going to suffer, Jesus says. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, the first words out of his mouth to this guy who has the authority to throw him in jail are, Brother Saul. I love that. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. You see, when you recognize your need for repentance, when you recognize the failures in your life, in what looked like a really good life, because now you've been interrupted and God's given you a new interpretation of what your life ought to look like. And you've spent time listening to God. And then God sends somebody and says, Brother Saul, or ladies, 
Sister Susie. Brother, sister, friend. You're a part of the family. See, what happens is conversion places us in the community of the converted. Please know that. That's a powerful place to be. And in that place, Saul discovers just how strong the community that he's been persecuting is. How strong it is because Jesus is at the center of it, and, and Jesus is the one who's, who's there with them. And, and now Ananias is no longer afraid of Saul, and, and now other disciples, as we read, come around Saul, and, and he begins to go into the very synagogues where he was going to come and use those people to arrest the Christians. And now suddenly he's in there telling the Jewish people in the synagogue, the Hellenist Jews, the, the people who are just like his background, hey, you know what? This Jesus, he is the Son of God. Well, how do you know? Well, I met him the other day. He changed my life. He turned my life around. See, that's the kind of converted community he was a part of. And these disciples came around him. If you read the rest of the ninth chapter, you'll find that even when the Jewish people were coming against Saul, uh, it was the disciples of Jesus who, who took care of him, who protected him, who, who made a way for him. Because you see, friends, Saul would tell us later on when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he encountered Jesus, and Jesus called him into what he was doing. But it was the community of faith, the community of the converted, who came alongside of him. What would it look like in the world today? What would it look like in your world today if a brother or sister in Christ, if people who knew Jesus, who just like you've known Jesus, would come together as the community of the converted? underneath your chairs. There's a symbol of that. It's um, a little cup filled with some juice. Uh, on top of it, there's a, there's a little pull tab. And if you pull the top part of the tab off, it's going to give you a wafer that you can see. For those of you who are at home, Ariana asked you earlier to, to be sure to Get some bread and juice or water, some liquid that you could use today as a symbol of this cup and this bread. Because you see, Saul was not in that upper room when Jesus broke the bread and shared the cup. And he tells us in Corinthians that he shared with the church in Corinth what had been shared with him by the men who were in that upper room. The community of the converted, they are the ones who shared this with him. And so this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, wherever you are, on campus, online, on demand, later on this week, wherever you're at, I just want to encourage you to, to, to take a moment and look for Jesus. To, to take a moment and listen for his voice. He told his disciples that, that these, these elements, the bread, the cup, they, they were a symbol of his body and his blood. They were a promise of his grace. So right now, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and say to God, confront me. Expand my worldview by converting me from my agenda to yours.